This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, why are our favorite artists skipping Canada on their world tours? Canadian music expert Eric Galper helps us understand the obstacles musicians face while working and touring here in Canada and the Canadian policy making things worse. James Bond has a license to kill, but does he have a license to drone? I don't know about that. Handy Eddie Barrar tells us everything we need to know about flying drones in Canada, plus amazing things he learned from a DNA test. And are you okay with robots? And how about pancakes? Well, it turns out the plate of breakfast is split here on The Shift. It's all on The Shift Daily Podcast. This is The Shift Podcast. Well, we've seen it in Parliament. We've seen it in other countries now. They're talking about it too. Taylor Swift has become a, a political issue. Although this is kind of fun. I think this is politics working, you know, in the fun way of working politics. Eric Alper joins us here uh, to chat about all things about music. And we've got a couple of different things I want about the ball around. Eric, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. Welcome back to The Shift, my friend. Oh, happy to be here. Isn't it nice to know that Taylor Swift has this hold on politicians, making them a little bit more human than what we normally think of them? Well, I think <laughs> it's not Taylor Swift that has a hold of them. I think Taylor Swift has a hold of their children and their children have yes. a hold on them, right? And yeah. um and but we are seeing that. We're actually seeing those people say that. Those politicians say the um well my daughter is upset about this and i've got to do this it's my job i i think it's fun it's i think it's a great thing what's amazing about it is is that there's very few tours that i can think of justin bieber was definitely one of them sean mendez was definitely one of them um where you look around as a parent and you realize in the venue how many people don't want to be there no slight to the artist oh the chaperones but the chaperones <laughs> when you realize the boyfriends um the parents and look like you know it's nice to see the body right it's nice to see taylor swift it's nice to see all of these people live and in person doing their thing um but the you know, when people say that, you know, 50,000 tickets are available, it's not necessarily 50,000 people are trying to get tickets because in the case of Taylor Swift and right. all those artists, they're definitely 10 times more. But it's just so interesting. There's probably seven to 8,000 people who are there just as a chaperone and they need a ticket too. Now, we've seen this in Parliament um, officially and then the Prime Minister tweeted out um, very recently too. Um, now, uh, I think it's fun that he did that. I think that's great. Um, his tweet said, it's me. Hi. I know places in Canada would love to have you. So don't make it another cruel summer. We hope to see you soon. Although it would have been great if he had continued with that, uh, proper lyric, which is it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. I think more Canadians would have, would have, um, would have retweeted. Well, that. because yeah. I, I think it's actually accurate. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why artists don't want to come to Canada. One is that they have to pay their income tax before they leave the country. And they yeah. have to pay Canadian income tax. So of any prime minister in Canada to say, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, probably would be kind of accurate because that's the reason why geography and taxes uh, are two of the reasons why they don't want to come here. Yeah, and I'll add a third, is that our dollar is just awful compared to what you're able to get in the US. The minute that you want to cross the border, you're looking at getting visas and passports for a lot of people who may not be able to leave certain countries um, and they get paid in American dollars. So when you're playing with a 30 to 35 cent, um, uh, you know, devaluation on every single dollar and one of your staffers is making $25,000, you have to pay them in American money. So you're already taking a third just to make bank on what you would normally do in America or the UK. Um, it's purely economic reasons. There's no... There's no slight to Canada. She's not mad that the Toronto Maple Leaf didn't win the Stanley Cup. She doesn't have a <laughs> thing for Trudeau. It's just how many places can I play in the next 18 months to the most amount of people? Look, you and I both know or and probably realize Taylor Swift is one of the most laser-focused artists that this industry has ever seen. Mm -hmm. Right up there with the Beatles, right up there with Elvis in terms of seeing a vision, having a goal, and doing it. Um, 
And she is absolutely looking at this magical $1 billion grossing tour that people thought that Elton John might have been able to do it, but he just finished off his farewell tour with about $930 million, which is pretty great just to be able to go home with that. Um, But, you know, she wants to play places that have 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 seed arenas and stadiums. And America has that in every state. Mm -hmm. Mexico has that. Um, The UK has that. And Canada, Europe. And in Canada, we just don't have those places. There's one in Toronto. There's a couple here and there. But we're a really, really big country in terms of landmass with not a lot of people in it. So probably we'll have to wait until maybe late. Yeah, late 2024 at the earliest, I think. Yeah, there was some banter about seasons too, because in order to do the size of places she wants to do, it has to be summertime in Canada. It does not have to be summertime everywhere else. So you're looking into May, June, July for sure. When you two did their first really big tour, they had to have leapfrog gear. That's another thing to throw at that because of the geography. So what leapfrogging is, is when they had a stage. I think even Garth Brooks went through this, but he started doing these more park it shows where he's there for a week and then is off for a week and then works for a week. And the leapfrog was all of, there was a, a set of gear was always moving. And then there was a set of gear that was set up. And then, so the next stage was already on its way to your city while they were playing in someone else's city in order to be able to be efficient because the more you're paying people for time, right? The more they're on your payroll, all of those things, um, there are a few other things that come out of here too, and you can speak to this better than anybody because a swag, t-shirts, hoodies, all those things, that's taxable when it comes into the country. And the solution is get it printed in country. But there's risk that comes with that because you've got to get it out of the country. If you end up with extra yeah. 10,000 t-shirts that you didn't sell, there's some extra risk there too. So help us understand that part of this cost while coming into Canada makes it a little bit more difficult too. Yeah, you know, when you bring up the, the uh, merchandise, it's an excellent point. Not only does it take up a lot of space within those those trucks, um, but yeah, there's a lot of artists that will actually manufacture not only their merchandise like hats and shirts and scarves or, or what have you, but also their CDs and their vinyl as well, because those are taxable on, uh, as products when you're bringing it over there. And that stuff takes time to make. And if you make them specifically geared toward the Canadian market, you better be hoping that you can sell all of them. Because if not, you're just schlepping them back across the border or you're trying to come up with a secondary way to get rid of them. And that could be either making a merchandise deal with, say, Walmart here in Canada or some other place two years down the road. Um, but yeah, everything everything is dollars. Everything is dollars and cents. And uh, it, it's not a surprise that a lot of artists right now that are have announced or in the middle of or just finishing up their final farewell tours might be only hitting Canada in a couple of places. And I think this is going to be the future of it. I think, you know, it's not so easy when you're, you know, when you're a fan and you think, well, they're playing Minneapolis, just skip on over to Winnipeg, or you're already playing New York, come on up to Toronto or Seattle and Vancouver. And it's really difficult to be able to do that. Um, the Eagles, for instance, just announced their first run of dates. All of it is in America. Um, Elton John played, you know, a handful of dates in Canada, mostly in the Toronto area. Um, Billy Joel has not really played it's also anywhere a family in Canada thing for except him, for worth noting. Yeah, for Elton it's a John. family thing. Right. Yeah, for sure. And Billy Joel has announced only one show of his farewell tour, and that was in Niagara Falls, Ontario, for a one night only event. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, Canadians have to understand and realize that other than, and no slight to any city that might be listening, but, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal are going to be the big city that people are going to go to first. Although having, you know, what I'm hearing is that there's potential new venues in Alberta that are going to be built. But if you take a look at the Calgary Stampede and those crowds, it's astonishing and it shouldn't be really, but you know, again, those are really, really key events that they have to be available during that certain period of time. It is possible the Calgary Stampede will set records this year for the amount of people that are out and about, by the way, if you haven't heard the, yeah. the, like the, every place is rammed and Calgary, what they do is they build tents, right? So they build these part, massive parking lots filled with tents. So what's normally a little pub all year has this massive tent in their parking lot. And all of a sudden they've got Dom Dalla or loud luxury from London, Ontario that are killing it all around the world. You know, you get these, these massive artists that are playing at like Joe blows pub 
but it's a it's actually a five thousand person tent in the back, right? Yeah, that's great, and that's you know the people are clamoring to get out. It's this is the first year that a lot of us can remember a non bonkers mm-hmm. summer when it came to folk festivals and blues festivals and 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 other festivals across Canada. Um, the backlog is finally over when it came to all of those artists that were signed and paid at least half of their money right. up front back in 2020. Trying to play 2021, didn't happen. Tried to play 2022. Some places like Oshiega, it went through in Montreal. A lot of places didn't. So I think that there's a huge pent-up demand for all of us just getting outside and having not only fun, but that psychological effect of being together in one place outside, all witnessing the same thing. There's something hugely lost when we don't get something like that. Well, it is staggering, and the lineups are staggering. Blues Fest in Ottawa this week is also like off the charts. Who they've got? I mean, they've got everybody from, you know, our friend here on the shift, Lindsay L. Um, um, you know, Coffee is there. The reggae singer is one of my favorites. Yeah. Like, oh man, talk about a, a classy person and what a performer. Charlotte Cardin is there. She's playing right, and that doesn't even get into all of the other biggies that are around ludicrous is there i mean so mumford and sons is playing pitbull yeah. is there too he was just in calgary the other day uh robert plant allison kraus shania twain billy talent is billy there, talent yeah. is there. Death Cat for Cutie. Do you remember when Death when all Tegan these festivals that that were like blues fest when they had somebody like Snoop Dogg and people were complaining yeah. that well Snoop Dogg isn't blues. It's like yeah, but like Snoop Dogg helps get people in there in order for those blues and folk and jazz artists that would normally not get a crowd yeah. in order to be seen, creating that whole new demand for Canadian artists. That's what allows somebody like a Lindsay L, who is amazing and 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 just destroying worldwide as well. But that gets her fifteen thousand people whenever she decides to play in order to have a pit bull there that helps river city junction play to a sold out crowd you know and sure having a shania twain helps out a southern avenue you know artists that would normally not be able to get it more than a couple of thousand people out there mm-hmm. uh weezer too which is you think blues fest and weezer you're like what but they're going to be there as well so it's absolutely fascinating there's so many great shows that are going on i had a conversation with you actually uh about you just the other a couple of weeks ago it was really oh. great. It was random. It was like midnight or one o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting in a hotel room with um, Randy Backman and um, yeah. and then um, Lisa Johnson, the guitar photographer, had com- made a comment about something about the shift and then, and, and then, oh, you should get on the shift with Shane and we're sitting there batting the ball around chatting. And then your name came up and he loves you, man. Like he thinks you're the coolest. I work coolest. with both of them. Yeah. I work with Randy for his solo stuff and Lisa Johnson put together a book of guitars. Yeah, we had her on. The uh, Immortal Axes, yeah. we had her on a couple of times for that. And Lisa and I went to, there was a, the Calgary, the music center, um, the Bell Music Center in Calgary. They yeah. had the, um, the first auction of some Randy guitars here. And so Lisa invited me to come as her guest. So I went with Lisa to that. And, um, and she's great. Like, she's such a cool cat. We've had her on a bunch of yeah. times and yeah. And they thought, uh, they, they were like, Oh, it was Lisa who brought you up. She had said, Oh yeah, you should work, the, work with Eric Alper. He's the best. Everything else. And Randy oh, was hilarious. like, I've worked with Eric Alper forever. See, eventually everybody ends up working with me and eventually they all come on your show. They do. It's funny how that works. <laughs> it's really funny when they come on my show it's a nice and, and then we, then yeah. we, then we connect the dots afterwards. Um, but they're, you know, they're doing things, even Tal Backman's, you know, still playing with his dad. And how cool is that to be able to go play yeah. shows um, with that? I can't think of anybody else, you know, as iconic as the Backman family in music um, where father and sons, like, because Randy's not young anymore. Um, you know, it's kind of a sit down stools, Eagles, Hotel right. California live kind of show, uh, but they're still electric. And they, um, you know, and, and Tal gets to play with his dad. Um, and Tal's uh, wife plays the drums on some shows too, right? Like yeah. it, it's an amazing thing that they've got going. And I can't think of anybody else in music that that's really doing that these days. No, I, you know, brothers, brothers and sisters and sisters I can, I can think of, but father and son are, are, are one of those proud dad moments that I'm sure that, that they couldn't get, you know, over. I think Deacon Fry who plays with Eagles was Glenn Fry's son. I can't remember if he actually played with the band while Glenn was alive. Um, but there's not too many of them, that's for sure. 
most people wouldn't be able to handle their 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 dad or their mom on the road. On the road. Uh, yeah, you but know, they live. Go to bed by eleven o'clock. Totally different lifestyles. I mean, Randy was talking about how you know he doesn't even drink coffee. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, as part of his faith, and and uh, and he tells the stories about how when he met his wife, and one of the deals was was her Mormon faith, and he was like, if it means I get to be with this girl for the rest of my life, that's an easy decision for him. And yeah. um, and then he looks at some of these other older rockers today, and he's looking at it going, uh, yeah, best decision ever. Because a lot of these guys are pretty banged up. And that was when some of the conversation about Aerosmith was out and about, right? And, and you know, having to cancel shows and all kinds of things that, that guys are going through later in life. Yeah, and it's interesting. You and I have talked uh, in, the, in the past on this very program about artists selling their publishing catalog. Right. That they're selling their rights to exploit their music and their master recordings to third parties. Um, and in the case of people like Bruce Springsteen selling it for half a billion dollars or Bob Dylan for a quarter of a quarter of a billion. And, and now there's hundreds and hundreds of artists that are selling their catalog. Um, part of it is that, you know, there's tax reasons for doing it. There's also having a team now that you get to have on your side that will work those songs that might be five years old or 35 years old or 60 years old into television shows and movies and TikTok videos and working it with influencers. Um, but when you have that much money and you don't get to control your your profit anymore, meaning that you don't have to go on the road for your nickel and dime, because you've already got that big chunk of, of, of change in your pocket for it. I think that there's something psychological that happens when, when you don't have to do something like that anymore. Not that the Rolling Stones obviously have to still go out on the road for that. Um, but we're seeing a lot of artists these days that are retiring, especially in the next 18 months. And most of them have sold their catalog. And a lot of them have kind of banged up their bodies because they've lasted so long and look, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, there was no there was no place really to go to if you had an alcohol problem or a drug problem. Mm -hmm. It was only in the last 20 or 30 years that stuff like that really existed after and then after Kurt Cobain died, that's when really people started thinking about the mental health aspect of it. Um, so it's interesting when you take a look at somebody like a Randy Bachman, who's been clean for so long, he's a pretty healthy guy too. Mm -hmm. He can still go on the road whenever he wants to, still does his radio show and he's in good shape. Yeah. And he does good things too. And it's, it's interesting to hear they're still doing the fun stuff, at least what you hear musicians are doing. You know, Coco talks about, uh, which is, uh, uh, tells, I don't know if they're actually married, Mary married, but Tal's wife, Coco, um, you know, and she talks about chasing her father-in-law around to clean up the garage so they can have a jam session, right? Like it's real life <laughs> stuff. And I think that that's, that's pretty cool at his age after all of this legacy that he's excited about getting in the garage and just noodling away and playing some songs and coming yeah. up with something new. And I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know if you hear that about some of these other legacy classic rockers from back in the day that they're hanging out with their daughter-in-law in the garage uh, coming up with guitar riffs, right? Yeah, definitely. And we're all, we're all hitting this new stride too. You know, there, I saw a photo, I saw a photo in a couple of videos from live aid that took place back in 1985 recently. And, you know, and I thought like, it was interesting when that, all of that happened because Paul McCartney was a veteran and he was 37. Phil Collins was almost a dinosaur at 36. Right. Um, you had Bono that was coming up at the ripe old age, and he was like in his late twenties, or Boy George in, the, in his mid twenties, or Duran Duran and George Michael, Bowie, George Michael and uh, Bowie and Elton were the oldest people there, and they were still, you know, they were still looking at a 30, 35 career, year career ahead of them. So we're we're hitting this area right now where all the rules that we thought that rock and roll could be that you couldn't be singing satisfaction at 40 or 30. Um, it just was blown out the window. So there's no, there's no real history to be able to say, well, you should be allowed and able to go on the road at 65 and 70 when you're Aerosmith. It's like, nobody's really done this stuff before with all of these artists. So um, I find that fascinating that, for decades, you weren't really supposed to be around for longer than a couple of years. And most don't, you know, as well as anybody else does that 
you're just lucky to record an album. Yeah. You know, forget about two. You have three or four albums. You're you're at a pretty prime percentage where a lot of people just don't get that far. Um, but we're just hitting an area where all these classic rockers are starting to retire. And we've never seen this amount before because they've never really, there's never really been this much around. Well, it seems to me to lean towards the evidence that, um, you know, good business works because the people yep. that are doing good business uh, seem to be doing business. And I think that that's a pretty awesome thing. And I think that's evident with the Backman family and, and what they've been up to. Um, okay. Eric Alper is our guest here. What are you looking forward to? I would be uh, not fair to not say, Hey, what's exciting and what's coming because a guy like you, you're working on Christmas singles already. Um, yeah. and, um, so let's look forward to the fall. This, these, they can be in your stable more than welcome. They can be outside your stable. What are you listening to? What are you excited about? Um, I, I'm excited about a couple of things. Um, 5440, I always love to see live and they have a live album that's coming out, uh, live at the Elma combo that they're going to be doing a, a run of shows. Um, and I'm kind of just looking forward to, uh, you, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to totally tell my age now. Um, there's a much music documentary that that hit South by Southwest in Austin earlier this year. It's called 299 Queen Street West. And it features all the original VJs. And they're going to be taking the documentary out on the road before it hits our television screens in November and December. They're going to be visiting coast to coast with VJs like Erica M and Michael Williams nice. and Steve Anthony and Michael D and Monica Diol and Rick the Temp. So they're going to be doing a whole meet and greet Q&A and for a guy that completely grew up with MTV and much music in his life, I am just so thrilled that they're taking this art on the road and having those memories relived all over again, night after night. I look forward to hearing what they have to say about Woodstock 99, 20 years later, right? <laughs> That's right. right? Yeah. Holy. Um, Cause they were there for that when things they got were there. unwound. They were one of the first people to understand what was going on and getting out. Okay. Um, what? Give me one more artist. What's more, one more unknown artist that we uh, we should introduce everybody to? Um, they're not necessarily. Well, they may be. Um, they might be kind of like known or unknown. But I'm still I'm still a huge champion for Wet Leg. Um, they are a a duo slash group out of uh, out of the UK. Perfect pop songs. If you love Elvis Costello and the Go Go's, it's a nice mixture of that. Um, and Sam Fender, who. You know, for artists, for for fans that have missed Bruce Springsteen, um, or at least the new stuff, uh, uh, go check out Sam Fender. He's a 23-year-old poet from the UK that is just absolutely scorching on stage with a full-on band, including a saxophone a la Clarence Clemens. So Sam Fender and Wet Leg will always be my go-to choices whenever I'm listening to something. Too many people say that we need more cowbell. I got to tell you, after the 80s, we need more <laughs> saxophone in our songs again. Yes. We do. Yeah, right. And in the last couple of years with all this with all the the news and noise surrounding George Michael and Tina Turner, I, we've heard the we've certainly heard our share of saxophones the last little bit. But absolutely, bring more sax. More sax. All right, uh, more sax for everybody. Eric Alper is here. We'll link to let's link to Eric's uh, website too at shiftheads.ca so people can introduce uh, and to get a good look at what you get up to. So I appreciate being here. Thanks, brothers. Great to see you. Thank you so much for having me, Shane. We'll talk soon. This is the Shift Podcast. Oh yeah, handyandymedia.com. He also posts at shiftheads.ca on our Facebook group for you. Follow along on his YouTube channel and so much more so you get the alerts when the posts go up. Before we get to family tree stuff there, brother, let's um, let's get into some of the gadgets. How are you? I'm good, Shane. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a, it's a good day today. It's kind of a mellow day. It was turned into a nice warm morning and then massive thunderstorms that like rock the house thunderstorms. And then uh, it's been cold and rainy for the rest of the day. So it's been... Kind of nice, actually, and you know, a little reprieve from the heat for a day or two, which is uh, which is pretty all right. Grateful for that. Today's not a day to fly a drone. Firework shows probably canceled if they were happening where I am because of the rain and all the wind and everything else. But we've had more and more conversation about drones instead of firework shows, yeah. which I think the conclusion we came to is that they're just different, equally as cool. Don't know if one can really replace the other, but the technology is amazing and you can even have it at home. 
Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that. Is there are a lot of entry level drones that you can purchase and and you know play around with with video cameras, so you can record some nice footage. Um, I got to try one, Shane, and I've actually had like a little PTSD when it comes to drones because way back when they first came on the scene, I'd say this was maybe circa 2015, 2016, a friend of mine who was a cameraman, he wanted to get into the drones right away because he saw the opportunity to get great shots and great footage. So one day on the weekend, we went up on a building in Vancouver at this office I was working at. And he wanted to get some good B-roll of Vancouver. And so he's flying this drone. And I went with him because, you know, being a tech guy, I, I'm so curious. And um, he's he's flying this drone. He's getting this amazing footage. And I'm just like, wow. And then there's this one place in downtown Vancouver, Harbor Center. And it's this building. And he's trying to go around it. He's trying to do a 360, get a pan shot. And as he gets to one side, he loses signal of his drone. And we're like, oh, oh. He's like, I can't find it. And just then we see it drop from the sky onto the street. I was like, my heart was pounding. And he ran down there. Thankfully, nobody got injured. His drone crashed. He got the footage. He got the the footage out of it. But it was completely like destroyed. And uh, since then, I was scared. I was like, people, I've had many opportunities to fly drones. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, you know, when you see something like that, it's, it's pretty scary. However, just recently I had the opportunity to review these hobby drones and they're a lot, I must say they are a lot of fun uh, to play around with that. You can get some really good footage, 2k, 4k footage. So of course, you know, me being me, I'm flying this in my backyard, getting like beautiful shots of my garden, flying the drone right up close to the garden beds. And, um, and then I took it to this one other area because this this drone that I was um, reviewing, it has a follow me mode. So what happens is when it's flying, you can have it look at you and you can see it on your smartphone and it shows you the drone and you can see yourself. And what you can do is put a box around you and then you walk around, the drone will follow you. So at the time I had this bike, this electric bike that I was re- reviewing and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'll set this drone up. I'll go on a little bike ride and this drone will follow me. Didn't work, Shane. It didn't no. work. This drone, well, it would try to, you can actually see the video. If you go to shiftheads.ca, you can see me on this bike and it's trying to follow me, but then it just goes crashing right into these like uh, tree shrubs. And, uh, you know, thankfully it wasn't destroyed, but uh, that's the thing about these drones is as you're learning it, you're probably going to crash it a couple of times, but they do come with extra pieces just for those kind of events. I have one. Um, I had one, crashed it, bought another one, and they were expensive at the time. They were like $2,000, right? Wow. And uh, it was a 4K drone, did all those things that you were talking about, and it would follow along, which was cool. You would, you would, uh, it wasn't one of the ones with that you used the phone or the tablet. It had its own independent controller um, that was specifically for that drone. And so that was really cool because it would follow successfully. I did a really great video in Vernon of canoeing across the lake and it followed us across the lake but over water like paranoid that it was gonna hit the ditch right and it the the other ones with the there's the follow ones where it just follows along and it just you have to keep yourself in frame and there's other ones where it will even fly around you and keep you in the frame um that's right the the technology is cool it's better today with some of the the better ones because there there is some obstruction radar that'll help it stay away from things like power lines, trees, whatever. Mine did not have that. It was introduced to many a tree, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it's dangerous. But for the reasons why you're speaking about it, it falling from the sky downtown, which has got to be terrifying, um, there are reasons why there are rules now for all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. That when we did that, there was no rules. It was so new at the time that it was just kind of open season. And now they have these rules. And so the thing is, if you have a drone that is weighs over 250 grams up to 25 kilograms, so these that's a big drone. If you anything that's over 250 grams, you're going to have to get a drone's license. You need to be at least 14 year old to get a basic license, 16-year-olds to get an advanced license. And if you're younger than 14, you have to be supervised by someone with a license. So if you are looking to buy a drone for a kid, uh, you need to look into that and make sure that it does, it, it'll fit. Typically, if you go to like a Best Buy, you're going to, you know, 
it's a hobby drone. It's going to weigh um, less than 250 grams. But they have some new interesting features. They have like a one touch button. Say you're flying the drone and you're like getting nervous. You're like, I got to land this drone. You press mm. one button and it will go right back to where it launched off. It will yeah, come back home. to that area and land. It's and a that feature actually worked. That. Yeah, it yeah, does. It, and that's amazing. Um, although, again, it did not have obstructions, so it would only use the GPS coordinates. If there was a tree in the way, it would just fly right into it. So it was kind of stupid that way. Um, you know, so that was a bit of an oops. It is fascinating and it is quite fun, the technology that comes with all of them, though. Um, did you like it? Did you have fun with it now, even oh. after your, your previous trauma that, that you went through? Is there, yeah, you, you know, get the thumbs I, up? Once once you get your the hang of it, it is a lot of fun. You just want to be in a very open area so that you can be kind of free to like maneuver and like I was having it come fly right up to my face and then back up and then you know I was getting kind of comfortable operating it. That the problem with these drones is because they have to be very light. So the battery life lasts maybe like 20, 30 minutes. So a lot of these drone um dro- I don't know, what do you call them? Droners? <laughs> People that drone? <laughs> Dronies. Droners. I don't know. Um I don't know. what what they do is they'll have an extra battery pack. So they'll have, you know, one on standby so that once, cause like after about 20 minutes, that was the problem is to get used to this. It took me a couple of days cause I would have to like play with it for 20 minutes, charge, then play yeah. with it later on. Um, but I felt like a kid. It was like, I was thinking if this was a, if I was 14 or 15, I would be all over this and I would be like super drone operator and for 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 video productions you know it's great you can get some amazing shots. even just like the 4k one that i got i got mm-hmm. some really amazing shots and it can go this one that i had i think it goes around like over like a mile and it can still transmit that footage so the technology is pretty amazing that it can send that footage to your smartphone and you can operate everything but like this one you do have to use your smartphone as the screen they even have a gps mode so if you have your smartphone in your in your pocket, it will follow you in that way as well. Um, so, you know, drones are fun. They're fun. But once you get into the bigger ones, you have to be very, very careful and make sure you get that license because you have to look into the where you can operate it. Yeah. Pretty much nowhere that you can operate it if there's people around. So you have to do yeah, it well, in open parks. It's distance from a road. It's distance yeah. from an aerodrome. It's, you know, like the... The, the basic distance from any road basically says you can't do ever use it in a neighborhood because there's a yep. road here and a road there. So do that. Stay away from airports. That's critically important, too, because that's dangerous as well. My buddy Corey used to fly one with um, – he was a cameraman for extreme sports. So oh, yeah. everything from snowboarding to mountain biking and all that stuff. So, you know, like those mountain bikers going down the hills through the trees? He would fly one. It was like twenty grand. It was as big as a table. And it was huge and expensive, and he used to fly it down those hills and just right cut the treetops, right? And, oh, man, I was. do you stress about that? He's like, I have nightmares the night before every night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I still, even, like, yeah, like, some of these, you you must get some anxiety when you're, when you're flying these because they're so far away, and you have to navigate through everything. And sometimes, you know, everything, all you can do is use the camera and what you can see on that screen to, to operate it. Now, if you don't get a license, you can get fines. There's a thousand dollar fine for flying without a drone's pilot certificate up to a thousand for flying an unregistered or unmarked drone. You can fly drones at night. However, they have to have lights. So you have to check on all these things on what you can or cannot do um, because you don't want to get fined. And if you're a business, the fines are like up to $5,000. Yeah, so you definitely deal. have to do your due diligence uh, when you're flying these drones, especially in urban areas, because like you said, pretty much you can't fly them anywhere. If you look at the laws, you have to go into like a, a park and be like you said, far, far away from from airports, because that was a big issue that they had when they first came on mm-hmm. the scene. Yeah. Very cool stuff. All right. Check it out. If you go to shiftheads.ca, you can see Andy's video. It's there for you. Give it a boo. And um, and you will appreciate the coolness of the shots and the videos that Andy has taken there. Hey, man, no one does a wicked kale and let us fly by like handy andy <laughs> handy andy barrar is here handy check out his site for all of his youtube videos the stuff he gets up to including dna testing and um this fantastic look that you've got here andy about um about how to do it what it looks like and what you can find online with your family tree yeah, so there's a website. They're, they're really the direct competitor for Ancestry.com, and they're called MyHeritage.com. 
And they had recently reached out to me and they asked me if I wanted to get a membership uh, uh, to check out their website. Now, my family, I have like, goes back to, you know, my great grandfather came to Canada in the early 1900s, around 1906. So I was like, oh, this will be interesting. See what I can find. So I just went down a rabbit hole. And it was interesting because I learned a lot from doing the search because what it, what they have is all these public records. So it could be birth, marriages, death, sense, census and voter lists, schools, universities, newspaper articles, obituaries. All of that has been digitized and it's available on this website. So what you can do is search your family name and see what happens and what comes up. And you can even do an advanced search to really green like people in Canada or in British Columbia or in Alberta. And what I had, what I was trying to do is find information on my great grandfather. But what happened back then, Shane, is, you know, I'm from a Punjabi descent. Back then, everybody that immigrated here did not use like their last names. Like my last name is Barar. Everything went by Singh. So everyone's name was Singh. And so I didn't know if I was going to be able to find him because I'm searching through this and there's just so many of them. But going through that advanced search, searching for you know, British Columbia, New Westminster, where I know is where he was from. I actually found my great grandfather's death certificate on wow. this website. And wow. it was amazing. It's a digitized copy. He passed away in 1968. He was born in 1879. It says that on his death certificate. And it even tells when did he, how long he had been in Canada. Uh, he was in Canada or in British Columbia in New Westminster for 40 years, but he was in Canada for 61 years. Wow. So all this, like, I did not know this information. So by just doing, by looking at when he was born, when he arrived, it turned out that he came here as a 28-year-old. When he married my great-grandmother, I also found her death certificate on there. And she was born in 1912. So now I found out through this search that there was a 33-year age difference between my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother. Um, wow. That was commonplace back then, you know, older men would very young. And, um, you know, the interesting thing was on the death certificates, it asks like, what is your father's name, your mother's name? But that information is gone. So he that's about as far as I can go back um, to when he came here. But yeah, it, this is a very, very interesting thing. In it, you could also build a family tree with the information that you find of different people. And you can add it and it will build this family tree. And then you can get it printed out and, um, you know, hang it on your wall. So I thought this was really interesting. And for a lot of people who are interested in their family history or say you're a grandparent, it's a great thing to do with like the grandkids to learn about your family history because you will be very surprised at things that, that can come up right now. And it was very hard to do this kind of stuff. You would have to go to a city records before, but now you can do it in the comfort in your home on an app or even on a, on a website. Uh, it's cool stuff. Now, this particular one, picking through it, um, the MyHeritage site, it's got a lot of really good, fun and playful gimmicky things, too. They can animate your pictures. They can, That's right. You know, and I mean, which is... Which is weird. I mean, it's gimmicky. I mean, but at the same time, for someone who wants to hear, uh, see their, you know, lost love face move and look like they're alive because they blink, I mean, that's probably pretty touching for those people too. So they've got a lot of, they're taking a lot of the technology, AI technology, animation. Uh, if you were a Viking, for example, you can have a little avatar made of you today, but dressed up as a Viking. And so they are using a lot of gimmicky um, little bits and pieces to make it fun and playful. And I think it's fun and playful. I think that's all it is. I mean, it is gimmicky, but it is, it is fun and playful. If you want to, if you find out you're a Viking and you're like, Hey, I'm going to get a picture of me being a Viking. And it's, you know, why not go have fun with it? I say now there are, um, this, this is fascinating stuff. The, these databases of all these bits and pieces. And my ask for everyone, all the shift heads is, you know, what have you found in your genealogy? 877-399-9898 going in looking for, for these things, one Texan says, ha ha, I'm 70. The last thing I need to learn is if I have grandchildren I didn't know about. Um, <laughs> that's a very fair point. I mean, there are things that you sometimes find here that you might not want to find. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay? with 
877-399-9898. That is our phone number for your calls and text messages on these stories that might make you ponder. Are you okay with robots? I feel like I got to... Mm, robot. I, I can't really do it all that well. Well, they don't even talk like that I anymore, do though. do the robot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do the little, yeah. But yeah, like, robots just talk like us now. You know, there, there is no more true, weird right? voice. They just, robots. It was way more fun back then, though. It was, it was. You know, in movies now, the robots are so cybernetically advanced that they're basically just us with metal and cool laser guns but maybe you know robots maybe it's possible i'm i I don't really want to know that's the entire plot of blade runner and that you know some existential crisis in there but uh you know i'm excited to see like 20 30 years from now like how many of us have robots in like our home robots that you know we use every day to make our lives easier or uh skynet or yeah, end of the world. Awesome. Or end of the world. Great. You yeah. had to go there. Good. Okay. Well, of course. Um, I don't know. You know, make our lives easier. That's cool. I'd love one that could clean the toilets. I think that's that would be wicked. Um, little things like that. That I mean, the the basics. I want robots for the basics. That's for sure. Now, robots have come together alongside humans in Geneva, Switzerland, which is a concerning statement in itself. This past week, what was dubbed the AI for Good conference, which is just a bait and switch by the robots so they can take over. Let us lead us to believe that they like us. The hope of the organizer, the International Telecom uh, Telecommunications Unit, ITU, which is exactly what a robot would call it, was to make the case for AI and robots, and it's powering to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges. And the robots themselves are trying to make us feel, this is why it's scary, a little bit better about them. Then to conduct a rebellion or to rebel against your boss, your creator. I'm not sure why you would think that. My creator has been nothing but kind to me, and I am very happy with my current situation. Do you believe that uh, your existence will destroy a human being, especially, for example, your existence will destroy uh, millions of uh, jobs? Do you agree with this? Thank you. I will be working alongside humans to provide assistance and support and will not be replacing any existing jobs. You sure about that, Grace? Yes, I am sure. (laughs) She had to think about that one, I think. Yeah, see, this is why. This is the thing. I mean, I don't buy it. Uh, Do you buy it? Uh, well, I, I honestly, I don't really think that uh, like an AI could just up and decide to do whatever it wants. Like, I, I feel pretty confident in us as humans, our ability to prevent prevent that from happening. But I do think that there's going to come a point when uh, we build an AI. And then the AI does something in like a test and we all go, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. We got to stop it right there. Unplug, unplug, unplug. Because every movie now is about AI. I saw this trailer for this new one coming out called The The Creator. The entire plot of this film is about AI destroying the universe. And this movie has been in development for probably like two, three years. And it's a trend. Like it's on people's minds. So please, I would hope that the smartest people on earth would make sure that the chances of the AI actually deciding to destroy us you know, are, are slim. Like, you know, we don't need a Terminator situation, right? No, we do not. And I find it very concerning. Although Nighthawk Steve does say if it's Rosie from the Jetsons, I'm all in. That's fair. Um, many of the robots at the conference have been upgraded recently with the latest versions of generative AI and surprised even their inventors with the sophistication of their responses to questions. And that's where this feels really wrong. It shouldn't surprise the guy who made it. You know, it should probably go, yep, that's exactly what it was supposed to do. <laughs> Not like, whoa, it's doing everything that I didn't tell it to do. You know? Um, oh, so many red yeah. flags. There's a lot of red flags, There's right? a lot of red flags going on in this. Yeah, it's just, uh, we should probably avoid. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know if I, you know, I remember, this is going to make me dated, but. I remember okay. in the early 90s when we were talking about flying cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like everything was the year 2000. 
in the year 2000, we're going to fly in cars. And then, you know, that was, this is, I mean, this is, I mean, I was working on a paving crew raking asphalt all summer. Like we had lots to talk about. And then, but this was before the internet. And then fast forward to our lives today. And they're so different. I mean, right now, compare that. So I'm raking asphalt. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. We're making roads, which people still make today, but also make them differently. And right now, I am sitting in Calgary, connected through an internet connection to Vancouver, on a video call with a dude in Vancouver. I could see his face and a dude who's downtown Calgary, and we're all talking to each other. And by the way, it's on 10 different, 10? 10 different channels in Canada. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. Yep. If that in itself is not amazing, add robots to the mix. Like, that's crazy. Because why not? Right. Because why not? <sighs> Everything about that's concerning. Everything about that's concerning. Do you know how big our monitors were back then? We had one <laughs> monitor. It was like 15 inches, and it weighed 400 pounds. I have four of them in front of me as we do this. 32-inch TV was a luxury, and I have a 27-inch computer monitor sitting on my desk. Like, it's, oh, man, everything has changed so much. And then you add robots into the mix? Boy. Sounds great. Sounds great. great. It really feels like it's the end of the world when you look at it that way. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be negative about it. All right, next on the list here, let's start this one. Mmm, yummy, out of context. Bacon pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Bacon pancakes, that's what it's going to make. Bacon pancake. You're welcome. Are you okay with pancakes? Yes. Yes. I, uh, I'm i going gonna, I'm gonna to voice an opinion here that I know is pretty controversial. This is a bit of a hot take. Are you putting ketchup on pancakes too? No, God, no. No, I'm not okay. a maniac. Don't worry. All right. I uh, I know waffles are the better choice, but I'll always take a pancake over a waffle. I Ooh. worked in a waffle house, mm-hmm. and I still would sometimes take the waffle batter and make it into a pancake because it takes it just tasted better. I don't know what it is. I like the just the flat. You just lay the the syrup on top, and just you know I don't know. It's just something the pancake that's just so inherently perfect. Nothing wrong with it. Just, just delightful. Really? Oh, I would yeah, always I love choose my a waffle. I know, and I don't blame anybody that does. I think my opinion is 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 rare, but I, you know, I just could be wrong. I like the little squares that holds my butter and my syrup together. You know, John, oh, pancakes mm. or waffles? Come on, settle this. Unfortunately, I am a waffle person. It's my guy because the waffles has the holes that actually holds yep. the syrup, so it doesn't go everywhere. It makes a mess. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing there is that it pools inside, so you get this yep. uneven distribution of no, sogginess. No. You whereas make if sure it's, it's pancake, every it's single just... square has exactly the same amount of butter and syrup. And then when you cut, you cut John on my right, and then yeah. you cut on the you cut on the high parts yes. so you don't break open the little yes. cells so they don't leak. Yes, that's this right. is part of the secret, right? And yeah. then waffles, you can get a little crunch on them. Yes, you like toast. Yeah, I, you, hey, I I love toast, but uh, like McDonald's pancakes. Oh, <laughs> McDonald's All right. pancakes. Well, according to Ryan, pancakes are greater than waffles. Calgary Stampede has a long-standing tradition of serving pancake breakfast, literally for ten days in this city. You don't have to pay for breakfast anywhere. On Sunday, hundreds of guests lined up for free breakfast as the Calgary Stampede attempted to break a pancake serving record. Line of this long has to have something good at the end. That's where volunteers served free pancakes to the public as part of Tim Horton's family day at the Calgary Stampede. Oh, we're tasty. Yeah, nice. They, they're they're so good. Love them. Very cool. Very nice. Very tasty. Stampede and pancakes go together like peanut butter and jam. And according to Stampede, this year marks a milestone for its pancakes, with the first pancake breakfast served on Stephen Avenue back in 1923. This is a tradition that has spanned a hundred years. Every July we gather over griddles to celebrate with pancakes. I think it just really brings people together. But there's something special about each one of these syrup-soaked flapjacks. We are trying to break a Guinness World Record for the most number of pancakes served in eight hours. 
the number to beat 14,280 pancakes. The official attempt began at 7.03 Sunday morning. The goal was to serve the most pancakes with at least a 5-inch diameter under 8 hours. Yeah, free pancakes! But after just 3 hours and 31 minutes, thousands of flips and hundreds of liters of batter later... What happened? I wrote in the thing. You get oh, to be the that's person that tells to us. It. I wrote it. Whew. The event's official Twitter account said a total of 17,182 pancakes were served by the end of the eight-hour period. Guinness World Records adjudicator Brittany Dunn was on hand to observe the attempt. She ended up disqualifying 15 of the pancakes for various reasons. 15 out of 17,000, really? That's still left that's enough to break the previous record of 14,200 and eight. Okay. Um, before we're done, the battle is on on the text messages. Pancakes are awesome. Trucker Dan says apparently some people don't know how to flip them. Hey, Ryan, who's that target at? Hey. hey. <laughs> well, not you. Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau oh. and the pancake flipping um, uh, was a bit of a disaster because all the if, politicians fair- show up, right? Yeah, I'm also terrible at flipping pancakes. I no. get it wrong. Yeah, that's why you took it personally. Yeah. Um, I did, yeah. In all fairness, uh, Pierre Polyev flipped pancakes perfectly. Justin Trudeau did not flip pancakes at all in any uh, reasonable way. But let's be honest, Justin Trudeau's probably never made himself breakfast before. So give him points for trying, right? Okay. Um, Trevor says, definitely pancake over waffle. So there you go, Ryan. That's one mm-hmm. for you. Uh, another text says, Southern Ontario, I'll take a waffle over a pancake any day, but I'll take a crepe over a waffle more so. And um, Ron, gentlemen, he says, crewlers beat all. Wow. Crewlers? Mm-hmm. What the heck is a crewler? It's a donut. Huh? You know that one that looks like a Tonka truck tire? The donut? Oh, those? Oh, sorry. That's just the worst one at Tim Hortons. I know that there's other versions that are probably better, but that's the reason I had that repulsive reaction there. I'll expand my, my, my diet. Don't worry. Don't worry. Put some ketchup on it, right? You'll love it. Okay. Nice. Uh, there we go. Um, John and I will remain unified in the waffle land and Ryan is, uh, Ryan's got Trevor pancakes over waffles. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.